You're listening to Past and Present, the Colonial Williamsburg podcast. Hi, welcome to the podcast. I'm Harmony Hunter. We all know that George Washington was the first president. What we also all know, even though we might think about it less, is that before he was president, he was a general. Fighting in a war, there was no assurance he would win. Telling the story of George Washington as general is usually accomplished using maps and oil paintings. But a really fun and fascinating new project between Colonial Williamsburg and the Museum of the American Revolution is bringing new life to this story through a reconstruction of Washington's camp tent. My guests today are project leaders Mark Hutter, supervising Taylor at Colonial Williamsburg, and Scott Stevenson, Director of Collections and Interpretation at the Museum of the American Revolution. Well, tell me how this partnership began. We've got two museums coming together to reconstruct a tent. Where did this idea begin? Sure, so as a Director of Collections for the Museum of the American Revolution in Philadelphia, we're developing exhibition plans for this new museum that will be built in the historic area. And one of the signature objects in our collection is the original sleeping and office tent, the marquee that, that George Washington used during the Revolution. Um, and it's an, an object that descended through uh, the Custis and Lee family, was acquired by the organization about 100 years ago, but it really had never been studied. It's very much like an old building where there are bits and pieces that maybe are missing from it, clues that are left in the textiles. And so we needed to pull together um, experts in, in different areas to really study this, this historic textile uh, that, that's also a piece of architecture. So it was natural to turn to Colonial Williamsburg. Um, I've known Mark uh, Hutter for, for decades now and worked on other projects um, together. And so uh, initially it was a kind of research project and the reconstruction project has grown out of this effort to kind of study the tent, understand how it would have appeared when it was actually set up in the 18th century, how it functioned, how the space actually worked, how, how did Washington actually occupy uh, the space within this tent? We, we think of it very much like a building, a piece of architecture, um, but it's a deflatable one. It's a piece of canvas. Um, and unfortunately, unlike most buildings which are worthy of, of restoration, um, there's enough original material that you can keep that intact and standing in the case of the tent, that's not so. It's now so fragile, and the piece, the fragments of it are scattered between diverse institutions. There's really no opportunity to ever reassemble and re-erect Washington's headquarters um, as it would have stood in the field during the war. And so our only opportunity to ever see what his home for the eight years of the war would have been is to reproduce it. This is such an interesting idea. You know, you never think about or I never think about what Washington did in between battles, but he had a camp tent and it's what you've been calling the first Oval Office. This was his base of operations. Um, Scott, you started to allude to the division of space in that tent um, and, and it was, it's not, this is not your regular pup tent. Talk to us about how this tent was sort of engineered for the business of living and the business of running a war. Perhaps we should, oh. should clarify and actually say that these are really tents. We are currently working on one of two marquees that exist. And together, these two marquees, uh, two oval tents, make up the headquarters. And then they are further divided within uh, to have more room. So it, it's a suite of tents that that makes up the, the campaign or the field headquarters. A suite of tents. What did they so need the, to do? Well, so the tent um, that, that is it 
in our collection. This is the sleeping and office tent. It's a slightly smaller by a couple feet on, you know, in height, width, um, and length than the dining tent, which um, was a you know, sort of larger, more open tent that you would have been able to bring groups in, um, you know, as suggested for meetings, dining, and that. This tent actually has an inner chamber within it, so it's actually divided. Um, it's what about 22 feet uh, long, about a dozen feet wide thereabouts. I mean, again, these because you're able to stretch these. Uh, an object made of a textile like this, it, it expands a little bit on all dimensions. But then within that tent, if you can imagine, there's actually an inner tent that is about eight by 10 feet. Um, so the term, we sort of use the terms tent and marquee somewhat interchangeably. In the period, the tent was actually that inner chamber and the marquee was the outer covering. So when that's all assembled, it, it forms probably three distinct spaces within within this uh, you know, Washington sort of living, living tent. Um, and one of the benefits of doing this reconstruction project is we can sort of set this thing up, we can play with different theories about how those elements interacted with one another. And you know, we're still working out, well, how did this original inner chamber, when it was actually set up within the, the outer tent in our collection, how did that all work together? Mm -hmm. um, I mean, we're still, I mean, there are still, still, still questions, questions to, be, uh, to be raised. In unison, uh, and we have questions, yes. <laughs> That's right. Well, talk to That's me right. about the documentation for this tent, because mm -hmm. if ever there was an ephemeral structure, it's a tent. I mean, do you find um, plans for it? Do you find references to it? How do, you, how do you know that you're on the right track as you're attempting this reconstruction? Well, obviously, we, we begin with the artifact, um, or we should say the artifacts, the several pieces that are scattered between the collection of the Museum of the American Revolution the Smithsonian and the National Park Service at, at Yorktown. Um, and so that the study of the physical pieces um, is our, our first approach. But then there is certainly um, supplementary and supportive written documentation uh, from within Washington's own life and existence. Scott and his team for a couple of years now have been ferreting out virtually every paper reference um, to uh, the tent, both during the period that it was being built in the area of Reading, Pennsylvania, um, and in its 19th and 20th century um, uses and, and context uh, as well. The tent is not unique in its form. Um, these oval-ended marquees are standard in 17th and 18th century and into the mid-19th century, uh, military, European, and American. Uh, usage. And so thankfully we have other sources, military manuals of the period that illustrate and discuss the usage of tents uh, like this. Um, one English book uh, by an, uh, a, an author with a French name, Louis Lochet, um, provides some very useful illustrations um, and dimensions even, which are very similar to Washington's uh, tent. Um, he discusses those three inner rooms that Scott mentioned, um, and in this case specifies that the innermost chamber, the square area, is to be the office. The one round end outside of the office is the, um, the sleeping chamber, and the other round end outside the office is to be baggage and storage area and sleeping space for any servants. 
We know that for much of the war, Washington had his enslaved uh, man with him by the name of Billy Lee. And so while we think of this as Washington's home, it may have been Billy Lee's home uh, as, as well. And so that sort of written evidence helps us to understand um, the, the use of the tent in ways that the physical object may not be able to provide. This is a tent, Scott, that tells us not only about George Washington's life in the field, but also about kind of the engineering of battle and the waging of war in the 18th century. What have you learned about tents? Well, I'll tell you, it's, um, we started calling this the other home of George Washington. You know, so much of our focus, we think of Mount Vernon as the home of Washington, which of course it was and the place that he took uh, such great delight. But when I go back, uh, sort of put my historian hat on and look back at the life of Washington, not just in this portion during the Revolutionary War, but if you literally go back to some of his earliest writings and experience, the diary he writes as a 16-year-old on his first surveying trip into you know, northwestern uh, Virginia, he spends a tremendous amount of time of his adult life under canvas. You know, that experience during the French and Indian War as a you know, young Virginia colonel, and again through eight years of the War of Independence, and then again just the following year after the Peace of Paris, 1784, he goes to survey uh, with his, his lifelong friend James Craik, go look at his uh, lands out in western Pennsylvania in the Ohio Valley and hauls along quite possibly the very marquee that, we are, that we're reproducing along with him for, for that trip. So you do start to realize um, you know, his uh, the, the sort of the way that you live outdoors in the 18th century, it required a whole different set of accoutrements and ways of, um, ways of operating than working in the kind of reconstructed buildings that are so common here at Colonial Williamsburg, for instance. So in addition to reconstructing the tent, we are simultaneously working on documenting and in many cases trying to replicate the pieces of campaign furniture that have come down through various you know, lines of descent in the Washington family. It will be a very unique experience to be able to see all of this brought together, um, you know, replicated and put out on the ground, and then eventually in the Museum of the American Revolution to actually come and see that tent installed so that you can actually see the original piece. It's great to think that to really understand Washington, you need to understand this part of his life and to see that, that life under canvas. It's important to remember, I think, as well, you know, it's not, it, it gives sort of texture and human interest to Washington. But it, you can also think about this tent as um, almost as, a, as a, a political item as well. Because at the end of the war, of course, there was great discontent um, in the Continental Army. There were fears that there might be a military coup at the end of the war. There was a lot of dissatisfaction with uh, both soldiers and officers that they might be discharged with Congress not paying them off. Uh, all the arrears in pay. And of course, there was the famous so-called Newburgh conspiracy in 1783. And this is when Washington, perhaps one of his greatest moments, uh, steps up and addresses the officers and famously takes his eyeglasses out. And of course, no one had seen him using eyeglasses and says, gentlemen, you'll forgive me, I have uh, grown not just gray, but nearly blind in the service of my country immediately sort of, in a sense, saving this, this fledgling republic from the possibility of a military coup. And Washington has that kind of a authority um, because as he says in his speech and, and also says in his later address to the troops when they're disbanded in 1783, unlike many general officers in the 18th century, he remained in the field 
through the entire eight years of the War of Independence. He is only at Mount Vernon for about 10 days, 1781, and it's just because it's literally on the road to Yorktown and back. And of course, during every winter campaign season, Martha Washington would come and stay with him. And so he was able to say, and look these men in, in the eye and say, I shared the, su the suffering and, and struggle uh, that, that you did. And that tent, in a way, sort of symbolizes uh, his remaining in the field uh, through the entire war. We should probably add that, of course, there are um, a couple of dozen homes up and down the east coast of the United States that rightly claim to be, have been Washington's headquarters at some time during the Revolution. And when, when the opportunity was there, Washington would request um, and pay for the usage of a, of a home um, to provide a more permanent um, area, uh, possibly a warmer and, and more secure area. There's a wonderful uh, family record, though, written by George Washington Park Custis, Washington's step-great-grandson, um, who was supposedly told by a member of Washington's lifeguard that even when the general was, uh, was encamped in a house, that he always had this tent set up nearby to serve as his private sanctuary, to retreat to, to rest, and to write his dispatches. Um, so to us, this is very much his office, the first oval office. What's next for this tent? You'll get it reconstructed, and it's been a wonderful process. I should mention the reconstruction because we've been able to follow along on your blog and on a webcam as well. And Facebook. And Facebook. What's the address for the blog and the webcam? You can find it all best if you simply search First Oval Office, uh, which is our address on Facebook. Um, from that, you can go to the blog, which is hosted on the Museum of the American Revolution's website. Um, and you can also get to the webcam, which is hosted on history.org by Colonial Williamsburg. Right, and even after the reconstruction process is over, we'll continue to host the first Oval Office blog. We'll continue to add, uh, because we're, we're updating that constantly with research that we're doing, uh, sort of putting out uh, the stories that we're tracking together of the remarkable 19th century history of how these tents were used, and, and uh, they were brought out when Lafayette returns 50 years after the Revolution, and really have a very continuous and fascinating story of their use through the 19th century. Um, so we'll continue to update that even after the webcam goes cold for a while and the tent shop closes. Um, so it's worth checking First Oval Office. But before that, uh, the, the first public usage of the tent will be here at Colonial Williamsburg on November 16th at the official grand opening of the reconstructed Anderson Armory. Um, on that day, we will, we will uh, erect the tent there on the armory site um, as part of our discussion and interpretation of Williamsburg's efforts to prepare for war. I just can't wait to see it. You think there's nothing new to learn about George Washington. You think it must have all been said, but this really does show him in a different light and show, uh, I think, a less examined uh, part of his, of his career. And so it's, it's a wonderful project, and I'm real excited to see it uh, See the last knot tied in the thread there, Mark. Good luck to you. <laughs> Thank you. Look forward to seeing the project complete. Thank Thanks you both so for much. being here today. Appreciate it. Thank you. We're always glad to hear from you. Send comments or suggestions from our webpage at podcast.history.org or find us on Facebook. To support the podcast and other Colonial Williamsburg programs, 
visit history.org slash donate.